Well, guess who's coming to dinner today? I should like take a vote and find out from everybody. What do you think? And uh, today we are at the midway point of our series, and we have been walking through Old Testament characters that would be interesting to have gathered around a family table. I'm going to throw up the timeline again today because this is helping us get to know the seasons that we're in. And so from the patriarchs to the exodus to the judges to the kings to the exile, there we run all the way through the Old Testament. And today uh, we are going to come and camp somewhere in the middle. Here's a picture of some people having a good dinner this week. And... uh this is uh, your group of elders and spouses we met for a meal and a practice what we were trying to preach this uh, summer season. And we had a great time gathered together, and I thank my wife for hospitality and uh, sharing together. One of these days, maybe we'll get to have you over to our house. Who knows? Now that we have a house, we're just so excited to be able to use it, right, honey? And uh, so we had a great time there. It's interesting, even as we prayed and just to hear different words of praise and thanksgiving, one of the things that we did was we shared together some highs and lows for the summer and uh, just to catch up on each other's life, what was going on, and then to realize that we have people across this body that have all kinds of things going on, challenges, words to uh, remember in prayer, also reasons to celebrate, and uh, just hearing your prayers this morning around the table of the Lord Jesus Christ reminds me that God is at work, and I am so glad it's not my job to do the ministry. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we participate together in that ministry, and that's exactly how we prayed as elders and uh, spouses this week, and we prayed for you. We prayed for the body. But who would you like to have gather around the table? Well, we're going to drop into the period of the judges today, and one of the most popular judges was this guy, Gideon. <laughs> now, I know you guys are looking at that picture saying to yourself, that looks an awful like, lot like Mel Gibson to me in Braveheart. And if that's what you're thinking, you're right. Because I couldn't really find a decent picture of Gideon that I liked to describe who he was. But uh, Gideon was known as the mighty warrior. And so we're going to look at Gideon's life and what Gideon might end up saying to us at a dinner conversation. I, yeah, I don't know if that picture of Mel Gibson is going to add today or not. But um, what would Gideon have to share in a dinner conversation? And we've identified what the name uh, means for each person pretty much so far. And uh, Gideon is referred to as Mighty Warrior. But guess what? That's not what his name means. His name actually means cutter or tree cutter. Do any of you have names that when you look them up, they don't mean anything worth significance? Carry means dairy cow, I think. <laughs> Bowman means archer or something, right? I don't know. So there was no significance in the name Gideon. But Gideon, as we unfold the story, is known as valiant warrior, mighty warrior. All right? And uh, so put that in your mind. If you have your scriptures, uh, you can open to the book of Judges, uh, Judges 6 through 8, and we're going to jump in there. Now, it says this in Judges um, 6, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. 
Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And that says this in verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, let me look at a few things here. First of all, uh, where uh, Gideon was actually at was in the northern part, um, well, sort of north of the Dead Sea up towards the Sea of Galilee. And it talks about these uh, foreigners who would come in and they would invade their land all the way to Gaza. Now, isn't that interesting when you listen to the news that's happening this very hour with the battle in Israel and the Gaza Strip and the Palestinians and the Israelites. Friends, this is not new. It goes back years upon years upon centuries upon centuries upon millenniums upon millenniums. The battle in the Middle East and God somehow working through it all. I'm not sure how in all ways, but here is a story of the Israelites post-entrance into the Promised Land, post-Moses, post-Joshua, After Joshua, there was no military leader or point leader to take over his place. And so the Israelite tribes, there were 12 of them, to some degree on their own to continue to worship Yahweh God Almighty. But they fell into some deadly cycles. And these cycles had to do with disobedience and sin and the lack of worshiping the one true God. They were influenced by those who were around them. And so it says here that these foreign armies, these foreign people would come in and invade them. And in this particular instance, in Judges, the Midianites and the Amalekites and other eastern people invaded the land like swarms of locusts. Swarms of locusts. Now, I don't know, some of you maybe saw on the news recently, I think it was just this last week, some swarms of locust-like insects that happened in the Midwest. Did you see those pictures? I threw them up here. These are mayflies. Mayflies just sort of appear out of nowhere every so many years along the Mississippi basin. And these mayflies just, they live for 48 hours to breed and die and all that kind of stuff. And they just swarm on top so much that there were wrecks on roads because of these cars. The bugs would be piled up. They would uh, get squashed, and then it would be slippery, all right? I don't know about you, but that looks awful to me. Have you ever been caught in a swarm of bugs like that? Well, when you ever hear the swarm of locust things, it was quite descriptive. And so when you're thinking about the Midianites and the Amalekites coming in and swarming on the Israelites... Think in terms of not just, oh, here comes an army. We better get our act together. No, they came and they ravaged the whole, the whole countryside. And they'd been doing this for seven years. Seven years. So they would work hard. They would raise their crops. They would have their cattle. <laughs> and then the Midianites and Middlekites say, hey, guys, you ready? Yeah, let's go. <sighs> they would swarm in and they would ravage the place all the way to Gaza. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I like to receive the rewards of my hard labor. Seven years. These people, the Israelites, were weary. They were battered. They were hungry. They were despondent and depressed. And they began to do what became a routine every few years when they fell away from God. They began to cry out to the Lord for help. Dear God, help us, we pray. Now, if you study the book of Judges, and the book of Judges actually covers a period of about 300 years, approximately 13 different judges, male and female. These were military leaders and otherwise who God would send to help deliver the Israelites. If you study the book of Judges, there's this cycle that goes on. And so it's represented by this diagram, and I want to walk us around it. The cycle of sin and judges. There would be peace in the land. Israel serves the Lord. So Moses, Joshua, you would have the peace. And then what would happen? Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord, Scripture would say. And what was that evil? That evil was they would abandon worshiping and serving the one true God. And they would fall to the wayside and begin worshiping other idols and other entities and deities from tribes and people around them. The Baals, the Ashros, and there's a whole list of Canaanite deities that they would fall to. Now, if you're God, you went through all the work of getting them across the Red Sea out of Egypt, putting them in a nice place, and then they do that? Then they do that? God punishes Israel then. And Israel becomes enslaved. And that's exactly what was happening here in Gideon's day with the Midianites and the Amalekites. And then Israel would cry out to the Lord. And then guess what God would do by His grace? He would raise up a judge. He would raise up a leader, someone who stepped forward and said, I will lead us back to where we need to be. And then Israel was delivered through the power of God through that individual. And peace in the land was restored. And Israel would serve the Lord again. Now, that's a pretty predictable cycle, is it not? Not just in Israel's life. Has it been predictable in your life and in mine? You see, we cry out to God for some help. Help! Help! And God helps. He gives us a good season. He draws us to Himself. There's some winds. Even in difficult, troublesome, challenging times, we're worshiping God. And then life just sort of moves along. And it's not that we really turn against God. We just drift. We drift. We become preoccupied with other responsibilities in life. But the one true thing to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, it becomes vacated. And in it is replaced worries and enticements and pursuits. Maybe not of idols of a, a structure, but maybe they're materialistic idols. Maybe they're idols of fame or popularity or notoriety or some type of just ease. And you're pursuing that. And before you know it, you become bound up in things. And you're going, this isn't right. Things aren't going well. And, and then you have that prayer. And the prayer is not, thank you, Jesus, for this, this, and this, like we just did. It's like, oh, God, I am in big time trouble. Help me out. I am suffocating. You ever had those prayers? I have had those prayers. 
And God, by His grace, comes and He pulls you out over the course of time and sets your feet on solid ground. This cycle of sin and judges was there with the people because it's true of individuals. And we have to be mindful of that in our own life and be sensitive to it and stay true to worshiping God. And I believe in the communities we're a part of, beginning with this church community, and then even to the communities, cities at large, and even the nation, we have to be mindful that this secular pattern is very predictable. God, is he not patient? I cannot believe the patience of our Lord. He desires that all would be saved. But there will come a day when he says, done. It's time for the marriage supper, the Lamb, as we just mentioned. So this is the cycle of sin that was a part of what was going on at that time. And then it says this in Judges 11. Well, first of all, in Judges 7, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he sent them a prophet, and the prophet uh, so-and-so was... um, telling them what not to do. And then verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Eberzite, where his son Gideon was thrashing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then verse 13, and I cut it short, Gideon replied, uh, Pardon me, Lord. I want to give you the picture of this. Gideon, one of just many of the Israelites, trying to make his way. And he is hiding from the Midianites, going about his chore of thrashing wheat in a wine press, wanting to be secret. So he's cowered in. He's frustrated. He's weary. He's one of many Israelites who's been crying out to God. And then this no-name person in the middle of a no-name kind of place doing a menial job, just head down, one foot placed in front of the other foot, trying to be responsible to his family. The angel comes of the Lord to him. And he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior! And he's like, what? He looks over his shoulder, right? There is no identity tag on Gideon that says mighty warrior in his mind. Now, I don't necessarily think he was a wimp. I don't think that, you know, he was a a bitter and different kind of person. I just think he was a broken down individual and weary. The Lord came to him and the Lord had picked him to be that individual who would lead them into a time of deliverance. Pardon me. Isn't that a nice proper way of saying, excuse me, you got to be crazy. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Then the Lord turned to him and said, in verse 14, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you 
and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Why did God pick Gideon? Did did he have good grades? Did he come from a good bloodline? Did you know he have some notoriety? I have no idea. All I know is that God can just make a decision and come and pick you, pick you, and pick you, and pick you. And though your identity may be one of brokenness and indifference and fear, God can come to you and say, Mighty warrior, I have a job for you to do. Gideon steps forward, but he steps forward with a ton of apprehension. He has questions. Lord, where have you been? I hear all these wondrous stories about how you freed us, you know, and brought us out of Egypt. And uh, now where are you? But God said, I'm going to use you, Gideon. I want to use you even though you're from the smallest half tribe and you're the least member in your whole family. I'm going to pick you. And again, God does this. He takes common, ordinary people to do his extraordinary work through. But in that moment when God comes to you and I, we have to make the choice. Uh, Pardon me, you're nuts. Go pick someone else. I'm going back to thrashing the wheat here in hiddenness. Or you're going to begin to open yourself up to God. And you open yourself up to God by just in the stillness of your spirit say, I'm scared, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to try if, if, if you go with me. This was the humility, I believe, that Gideon carried with him and one of the reasons that God chose him. Now, when Gideon began to get his army together and he wanted to step into battle, he still carried a lot of this apprehension and fear with him. In fact, you may recall um, a phrase, maybe you've used the phrase because you've done this action where you lay out a fleece. The idea of laying out a fleece comes from this story in the book of Judges with Gideon. Let's look further down the road at Judges 6.36. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the thrashing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry in the morning, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, just as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, now I think this is funny, all right? So he's, he's got, he laid out a fleece going, man, I, I just don't know. Are you with me? I mean, you picked me. I'm of the least tribe or the end of the family line. I'm the runt and I'm a nobody that you want to use me. I, I sort of believe you can, but I'm scared. I mean, could, could I just sort of test you, God? I'm going to put out this fleece and in the morning, I want that to be really damp and the rest of the ground dry. God says, okay. So he does it. The fleece was really wet. So God comes through. You would think, yeah. And then he goes, uh, he says this. No, no. He says, um, uh, don't be angry with me. Let, let me uh, make just one more request. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> God tells you what to do. And you're still sitting around waiting for him to prove himself to you or make sure again and again 
and again. And so this time, basically, he flips it around and he says, all right, I'm going to set the fleece out uh, tonight and in the morning, I want the fleece to be dry, but all the ground to be sopping wet. And sure enough, God doesn't get ticked off at him and go, you man of little faith. He says, okay, I'll do it. And so he does it. And Giddy goes, oh, buddy, what am I going to do now? I guess God is with me. I'm going to have to follow through with this. I want you to be encouraged by this with Gideon. He was apprehensive, right? That's common to us. That's common to us. But if Gideon was sitting around our dinner table and he started to tell you the story about how God picked and chose his life, he would say this to you. He would say first, you cannot shy away from appointed battles when it is the Lord Himself who calls you to engage. You cannot shy away from appointed battles when it is the Lord Himself who calls you to engage. Now, there's a lot of questions that come along with that kind of statement, as Gideon would say it to you and I. First, I would say, make sure that it's an appointed battle that the Lord wants you to take on. But do not shy away from it if it's very clear. It may be a job opportunity. It may be a witnessing initiative He's called you to. It may be that He's asked you to put together a small group and and lead a Bible study or head out and do something uh, with a group of men or a group of women. It may be that He's asked you to reach some of the children in your community by something. Maybe something a part of this church more directly connected. Maybe it's just you know going back to school. I don't know what it may be. But if God's pressing that upon you and you have apprehension as to, is God really in this? I don't know. Then it's okay to own up to your apprehension. But ultimately, you have to press through it. Do not shy away when the Lord has appointed that you step into it. You know, it's almost like the story I heard of a little five-year-old Johnny was trying to help his mom do supper. And she was needing some things out of the pantry. But the pantry was sort of a scary, dark place, and he never liked to go in there. And she says, oh, Johnny, would you go to the pantry and get me that can of soup that's in there, that can of tomato soup to bring back? And he's like, I don't want to go in there, Mommy. It's dark. It's scary. And she presses a little bit because she's really busy. <laughs> and she finally says, Johnny, go get the tomato soup. Jesus will be in there with you. He walks up to the door. He opens the door. Sure enough, it's dark in there. He's scared. And he's like, I'm not doing it. He's getting ready to turn, and a thought comes to him. He opens the door again, and he says, Jesus, if you're in there, could you hand me that can of tomato soup? Now, the only difference between that boy and us is he was willing to admit what was going on in his life. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. There will be fear and there will be challenges. I don't necessarily know that this scripture is teaching that a fleece is biblical. The fleece idea was Gideon's. It wasn't God's. And he did it because of his fear and his apprehension. Step forward. Do not, do not fear. If the Lord says, I go with you, mighty warrior, I go with you. It was after this that Gideon ended up building an altar 
And he built an altar to, show, to Jehovah Shalom, to the God of peace. First time it's ever mentioned in Scripture because God said to him, my peace will be with you. You step into it. Don't be shy. The peace of God will come. Judges 6 verse 25 then as we move on. The same night that the Lord said to him, that same night he said, take the second bull, the same night that he did the first sacrifice from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you can cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished and the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? So Gideon's first act begins in the home. He realizes they have been worshiping Baal and Asherah. All right, these are two common deities at that time. And the the Asherah pole was a, a wooden pole that had this deity on it. And God says, cut it up, do away with the Baal, build another one, and sacrifice an offering to me. Now he's scared, right? He's scared. Oh my goodness, what's my family going to think? You ever been there? What are my friends going to think? What's the town folks going to think? So he does it at night. He does it at night. He cuts it down, destroys it, has this offering given. And lo and behold, in the morning, the people get up and go, Who did this? What happened here? You see where they took the American flag off of the Brooklyn Bridge last week? And somebody put up a white flag? I don't know how they did that, but I, you know, I used to go to school around the New York area, and I'm like, that, that was pretty tricky, whoever got through all the security to do that. But as people are walking across the Brooklyn Bridge last week going, hey, how'd the white flag get up there rather than the American flag? That's sort of what they did here. They got up and they went, what happened to that astral pool and the altar to Baal? He began in his home. He began in his home. And if you're going to step out to be a mighty warrior and take on that God-appointed battle that he's called you to, I think the next thing that Gideon would say around our dinner table is this. Secondly, battles with cycles of sin will never be broken without households of rightfully placed faith. Battles with cycles of sin will never be broken without households of rightfully placed worship. We mentioned it last week as one generation passed down to another generation with Abraham. And I'll just highlight it again. We are naive to think that we can see any change in our church, in our community, in our country, unless it begins in our own house. We're not always successful. Everybody has their own will in our household. But as for you, mom and dad, establish the rightful worship of God in your household. Make sure that you do say prayers at mealtime. Make sure that you talk through conflict in a biblical manner. Make sure that you do not sin one towards another. And if you do, you seek out the forgiveness and the reconciliation in an appropriate way. And I'm right there in the boat with you because guess what? There's four kids in our family and there's 
two parents that are in process, stuff happens. Stuff happens. But what happens in a lot of times, families, the trajectory goes off, and there's the pursuit of other kinds of gods that start to be established. As mentioned, it may be materialistic gods, it may be popularity gods, it may be preoccupation with recreation kind of god. I don't know what it may be, but make sure that in your home there is a rightfully placed place of worship. And I would just simply say, don't make it optional. Don't make it optional. God wants us to deal with our own lives and our own houses first before he's able to free and liberate a body of people. And I think Gideon would just simply say, that was a bold move, but God asked me to do it, and I took the initiative. I didn't know what was going to happen with my family or with the people. You know, the next morning when they said, well, where did this get? How did this happen? Guess who came to his defense? His dad. And his dad said, hey, if Baal's real, then God, let God, Baal deal with him, right? So he had an impact on his dad immediately, and their household turned towards being worshipers of God Almighty. Then you step into the full story of Gideon. And I'll let you spend more time reading the details. But what Gideon did was he stepped down and he began to call together people from the tribes of Israel to be able to go into battle. And somewhere there was this anointing upon him and he gathered together 32,000 people to go into battle. But the scripture here says that the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east, they didn't have 32,000. They had 135,000 in their army. Do you know what 135,000 people looked like? I found this picture being here now in Southern California. This picture is of the L.A. Coliseum back in 1963. The Billy Graham crusade the final night attendance was 134,254 people now i just a sidebar here isn't that great there are that many people listening to billy graham and worshiping god in the la coliseum in 63 it's like what happened to that right god used billy graham mightily right he was a mighty warrior stepping out through all of his years in evangelist but look at that crowd of people not only are the stands filled but the the field is filled and so that's 135,000 people and god says to get him go get him we're like yeah we got 32,000 now 32,000 is pretty good but guess what God says, you're not going to go after that mob of people with 32,000. He says this. He says this in Judges 7-2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, and or Israel would boast about me. My own strength has saved you. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord then said to Gideon, there are still too many men. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300. It got worked all the way down to 300. Here's what happened. God says, you're not doing it with 32, because then you're going to be prideful and say, well, look what we did, man. We, we chased the Midianites. We, we conquered them. He says, no, this is mine. This is my deal here. He says, I want you to take that 32, cut them back. Send everybody home who's a chicken. 
or apprehensive. Maybe they weren't chickens. He lost 22,000. Now, how many of you would have been a part of that group? I'm sorry, man, but you put yourself in that Braveheart movie we just reflect on there. I'm not going to forget this. I think we're going to pass. We're going to pass. I'm heading home. Be with family. That's good. You all go to battle. That's great. He's down now to 10,000 people. And he says, all right. God, this good? He says, nope. Not too many still. Can you imagine the 10,000 stay behind? What do you mean? Come on, come on, come on. I want to take them on, take them on, take them on. So he had a way of dealing with them to see in their preparedness. And, and just real quickly, he sent them down to the water, a stream area. And uh, he divided them into two groups. Some of the people knelt down and uh, they cupped the water and put it in their mouth like this. They cupped it. The others went, oh man, water, yeah, like a dog. <laughs> Now, what do you think happened to the people that lapped up straight into the water? What did they do with their swords and stuff? They set them down. But the person that lapped it up most likely kept their swords and their artillery with them, and they kept an eye open. And so it was God's way of saying, I want the wise warriors, the ones who are mindful of the enemy, sends those home. There's 300 that remain. Three hundred going to take on a hundred and thirty-five thousand. Now what are we going to do? Gideon still apprehensive, still apprehensive. God still accommodating him. He says, "All right." He says, "I want you to head down in the camp, take a buddy with you, at night, sneak in and listen to what they're all saying, because I'm going to fight this battle and turn them against each other." So they sneak down and they go up along a little campfire. And here's one soldier of the Midianites yakking to another one, a Milikite, I don't know, yakky, yakky, yak, this and that. And said, hey, I had a dream. What was your dream? I had a dream there was this loaf of barley that came rolling down out of the hill and it hit a tent and just demolished the tent. And the other guy said, well, then there's only one interpretation of that. And that is that Gideon is going to destroy us. Gideon's going to destroy us. If you'd heard that, you walk on back to your camp. You gather your 300 around you. You know, 300, maybe three times the number of people here. And you go, okay. They're freaking out about us. Our little group of people, but they don't know. Now they took the uh, torches and the, the trumpets of all the other um, Israelite guys that went back home. And so every one of the 300 was given a torch and a jar was put on top of it, and then they were given the trumpet. And Gideon said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Some of you come with me, a hundred come with me, we're going to circle around on the other side, another hundred of you over there, another hundred of you there, and then when the time's right, we're going to go, whoop, 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 big, big warrior sound, right? No, they're not going to do that. They're going to declare loudly, blowing their trumpet crashing the jar and the light comes on. They're going to declare loudly, the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. For the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. For the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. Now normally, when you had a trumpet call, that person was leading a whole entourage of people. Same way with the lights. So when they saw the lights and they heard the blast, and they heard the shouts. 
the Midianites and the Milkites thought there were tens of thousands of soldiers that would come in upon them. And God turned them one against another in the franticness at that time. And Midianites started to kill an Amalekite. And before you know it, they, they were on the run. They were down to 15,000 people. And they began being chased by Gideon's people. They were chased and they were eventually killed as well. And the Midianites are not in the news today. Why? Because God obliterated them, did away with them forever. Now, there's people from that territory in the Arab world today, that is for sure. But the reality of that tribe, you never see them resurface. God was faithful to Gideon. But I tell you what, his instruction to Gideon was a little out of the ordinary, wouldn't you say? I don't want you chasing 32,000 against them. I want you down to 300. And that's not necessarily even with swords. It's with a bugle and a flashlight. (laughs) What? Run. Go get them. Why? Because it was the Lord's battle. I think if he was sitting around our dinner table, Gideon would say this, Triumph in battle follows courageous obedience even when divine instruction seems unreasonable. Triumph in battle follows courageous obedience even when divine instruction seems unreasonable. You know, in our lives, friends, we're called to be courageous. We really are. But the times that we're called to be courageous aren't the movie episodes. You know, when you watch a movie and it's coming to that moment when there needs to be courage or something happened, the orchestra music starts to build behind and you know it's in, it's in this moment we need to be courageous. I don't think even getting his followers fully understood what that moment was for them. And we definitely don't realize it in our own life. God calls us to be courageous in the seemingly simple, insignificant, common places of life. But we need to know that the triumph for the battles that we have, they have to be won through courageous obedience. Courageous obedience, even when it seems unrealistic, the odds as well as the instruction. I I always ask the Lord in my own life for me to see some defining moments. I don't always see them, especially when I'm in the midst of challenging times. Tough decisions, things aren't going well, a lot of questions, there's frustrations, I'm weary, I'm worried. You know, all of our current life situations in this room, they will all be stories one day. We'll all look back and say, remember when? Remember when that event happened in my life or to my family member or something? And when you look back on this season of what you brought in this morning as a challenge, as a battle that you're in, what's the story going to be down the road? Is the story going to be one of courage and obedience? Or is the story going to be one you don't want to tell anybody because you didn't step up 
you didn't trust God in it. Act with courageous obedience. Even when the instructions don't seem to be all that clear or maybe sometimes they seem to be crazy. We're writing our stories. God is with us. And God desires for you and I to be mighty warriors. The battle is the Lord's. The song we started out with, it's not fictitious. Oh, let's get all excited about singing what a great conqueror he is and what he's done in our life. It's day by day by day that we walk out this beautiful plan that God has for us, for our families, for our communities, for our nation and our world. It's a plan to bring him honor and glory. You know, after this whole battle thing was over, they wanted to make Gideon king. Gideon goes, don't make me king. Don't make me king. It was the Lord that's done this. And that's where our heart rightfully needs to be placed. The Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of him this morning, has brought salvation to you by his amazing grace. His favor is upon you. And that favor isn't just for the forgiveness of your sins and salvation so you can be around the marriage supper of the Lamb. That grace and that favor that God showed towards you is the same kind of grace and favor he showed towards Gideon where he says, I will fight this battle before you. And so because of God's amazing grace, we step out and we seek to lead lives that are God-honoring and God-glorifying. Gideon was around our table. He'd simply say, give up. Don't shy away when it's something God's appointed you to step into. Make sure you begin in your household of faith, though. That's where I started. And then the incredible story unfolded. But it wasn't my story. It was God's story. He's the one that defeated the enemy. I'm going to invite Chris and the team to come up. We're going to sing a couple songs in closing and beginning with Amazing Grace. I want you to spend some moments just thanking God for His grace and His favor in your life and honoring Him. And as we sing, we're also going to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. You know, we don't uh, go and, and get the, the seven-year-old calf and slaughter it up front. What we do is we give out of the resources of our life, resources God has given us, we give Him an offering. An offering of financial means, but behind that are all the, the sometimes the fears and hesitations because we lead a tithe Scripture teaches is the first fruits, the first 10%. And so I'd say let's begin by listening true to God and what He's calling us to go into battle with. But I guarantee He's going to say begin in your own heart, your own household, and trust me and step out in this battle because it is mine. Be courageous. So in that regards, I want us to pray. I want to pray for you and your spiritual walk. I also want to pray for our offering. We don't often do that. Will you bow your head with me? Lord, today, I have no full comprehension of all the stories that are being written in this room right now, but you do. 
And Lord, You want those stories to be stories that can be well told in future years because of courageous obedience to step in and through the battles that You've challenged us to. And so, Lord, for the lives represented here, maybe some tough days, I pray for that individual, for those family units, that You would bless them and strengthen them, that they would lead forward in obedience. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who really is not on Your side, that they would choose this day to worship and to serve You, even uncertain and apprehensive as they may be. Lord, You want to take ordinary people and transform their life and do extraordinary things through them. And I pray, Jesus, for those individuals who have never crossed the line of faith that today they would consider that step and maybe share with a friend or ask of a friend how, indeed, that can fully transpire in their life. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing in our life and we thank you for what you're doing through our church community. Lord, we offer to you our sacrifice of offerings, our tithes. Lord, may you take these for your glory, for your development, to continue to chase down the enemy, and Lord, to continue to bring others into your fold. We ask, God, that you would bless us as a people as we seek to do battle for you. Lord, the countless times in my own life where I never realized I was in the middle of a great story. You did. Lord, for us as a people, for us as a church, may we reckon with that moment ourselves as a community and may we bring honor and glory to you. We thank you for your amazing grace. We will sing of your love forever.